This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the uh, Tuesday edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Mark Siegel on the two vaccines, and dare you say a third vaccine, Johnson & Johnson, now entering the fray while they tell us all to lock down, cancel Thanksgiving. You believe it? Lieutenant Colonel Allen West on what's going on in Texas with this uh, Dominion. Why did they turn down this Dominion software that so many uh, 27 other states use? That's what the president seems to be having a problem with. And we'll talk about all that, as well as we're going to dip in and out of this, or at least pull some sound bites from this. Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri, is uh, got a whistleblower that talked about the coordination between Twitter, Facebook, and Google uh, to suppress certain information and help Democrats. We are going to look into that, especially in lieu of President Obama yesterday saying we have to get the media as well as big tech on the same page when it comes to the right information. Can you believe this? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We build back better. We'll do so with higher wages, including a $15 minimum wage nationwide, better benefits, stronger collective bargaining rights that you can raise a family on. Really, Joe Biden sounding very much like Bernie Sanders yesterday. Lays out his economic plan. It's scary, detached and uncompromising. Where's that great deal maker? We'll explain what he plans on forcing down our throats. Number two. Americans facing some very tough choices as a coronavirus surges just before the Thanksgiving holiday. It's next Thursday. Officials in 28 states have tightened restrictions over the last two weeks. And during that period, the U.S. has recorded more than 100,000 new cases a day for 14 days in a row. Okay. You know the numbers are bad. But you know what also is bad? Your plans to lock down. No Thanksgiving, no Christmas, no way. COVID spikes, power-hungry politicians break out the old playbook of lockdown and shut up while they play with it by their own rules, and you're going to go along with it. I don't think so. And I'll give you the latest on the two vaccines. Number one. What apparently it looks like is maybe a memory card from one of the early vote devices was not loaded, which is the reason the secretary feels like in this particular case, this wasn't egregious thing. That the, and it wasn't discovered until we did this audit. Uh, that was uh, Gene Sperling. He is the director of election operations in Georgia, 2020. What we now know about the 2020 election, the final fight in the battleground states for president and game planning for the most impactful Senate runoff elections in modern history. We have the latest. So let's begin when the president got this news yesterday. Listen, he lost by about 14,000 votes in Georgia. And so far, the recounts has to be done by Wednesday at midnight, and he doesn't have enough yet. But yesterday, he found out that they found out 2,600 votes weren't counted. Here's Gabriel Sterling, cut three. What apparently it looks like is maybe a memory card from one of the early vote devices was not loaded. And normally, that would be caught by, you know, checks and balances within a, a county, which is the reason the secretary 
feels like in this particular case, this was an egregious thing that the, and it wasn't discovered until we did this audit. Well, they said it's human error, and you were asked to do the audit. Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffelsberger, who's a who this guy's just a uh, a real piece of work. He blamed the problem on Floyd County election officials. Also made a claim about Lindsey Graham told him to skip some ballots. That's not true. He asked him what the procedure was when it comes to your ballots and signature comparisons with your ballots uh, on your mail-in ballots. So now you're fighting the president every step of the way on social media. You're a Republican, by the way. Where is Brian Kemp, the governor of New Jersey? Does he not want this job? The president basically gave him the job, helped him get elected, and he disappears. It's been absolutely terrible. But the president needs more than a few thousand votes. He got net gain of about 700 votes out of the 2,600, so he needs more. I don't know where he's going to get them from. He's going to fight in Pennsylvania. He's got to pay $8 million to do a recount and try to make up 20,000 votes in Wisconsin. I don't know if he's going to do that. And that's going to be the challenge. Kelly McEnany says, I'm not giving up yet. Cup five. We barely scratched the surface when it comes to asking questions about voter fraud in our system. And I've had the whole White House press corps tell me, Mail-in voting is airtight. Uh, How dare you not trust the system? But we barely scratch the surface and we get hundreds and hundreds of affidavits, real credible allegations of fraud. And meanwhile, we're criticized for just saying, let's shine a light on the system. Meanwhile, they get four years of peddling and baseless conspiracy theories and turn out absolutely nothing. So in Nevada, uh, the president tweeted out big victory moments ago in the state of Nevada. The all-Democratic county commissioner in Clark County, uh, same ballot as the president, just thrown out because of large-scale voter discrepancy. And that is true, but that is just one seat. Uh, It's a Clark County register. It turns out that it's going to probably go to the Republican. The president wants to see that transferred to his account. And then in Pennsylvania, the hit back of the Washington Post of reports saying the campaign scrapping a key part of the Pennsylvania lawsuit. And they came the president came back and said the Washington Post forgot to read the complaint. Poll watchers and the way they were treated, a very high uh, deal. So the president hopes that the fact that 620,000 ballots were not looked at but were recorded, that's going to deliver something for him. He's only got a few more weeks or a few more days to get things going. Even Robert O'Brien says it looks like Joe Biden won. It seems more and more people are coming to that conclusion. As, as much as I sympathize with the president and I'm in awe of the amount that he tallied, and man, when you see that, uh, that turnout over the weekend— they got to produce something relatively quick because there's a lot at stake. The one thing that would diffuse the pressure, I believe, would be just read Joe Biden's people in on security, on the coronavirus, and give them the check at the GSO to go in, get a building, and get a budget, $10 million, whatever it is, and start setting up the interim offices. I just don't know how that could hurt. No one's going to blame you if they, it ends up being your election, Mr. President. And you gave $10 million to Joe Biden because it looked like he had won. So Carl Rove weighed in. Cut six. I think that's an exaggeration. Yeah, there, are there funny games going on in Philadelphia? Yeah. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's one out of every 20 voters is a fraudulent vote. I just, I just don't think that's borne out by history. And again, <clears throat> it's easy for us to make these accusations about, oh, these votes were stolen. This was rigged. There's a lot of extra votes here. But we got to go to court to prove it. It's an accusation until we prove it in court, and then it's a reality. So, and that's it. It's got to prove in court. Make sure you're getting a fair shot in court. They had three uh, lawyers quit the Pennsylvania, uh, the challenge. So I'm not sure what's happening there. 
When we come back, uh, I'm going to talk about COVID-19, the breakthrough in the vaccines, which is good news. But now you got these politicians in Washington, mayors in Chicago, Illinois, and in, uh, as well as uh, Michigan and in Wisconsin saying basically cancel Thanksgiving. Uh, we're not going to be able to have that this year. Is that really what we should be doing? Cancel Thanksgiving? I have news for you. Uh, a lot of people aren't going to go for that. And uh, I'll talk to Lieutenant Colonel Allen West about that. In fact, they did a poll. The poll said on a Thanksgiving survey, uh, 38% are planning to have a holiday dinner with more than 10 people. In New York, they said no more than 10. And then we have a bunch of sheriffs in New York saying they're not enforcing that. 27% say don't plan on practicing social distancing. Well, I'm for responsibly doing it. If you're concerned about somebody with underlying conditions or an advanced age, get a test, rapid test if you want, and make sure everyone's fine. Uh, Jim Jordan tweeted out, uh, essentially, uh, he came out and basically said in Ohio that we should forget about uh, doing that. He said, don't cancel Thanksgiving, don't cancel Christmas, cancel lockdowns. We'll talk about that and the Senate race. It's one 408 because money is flowing into Georgia. Carl Rove is in charge of the Georgia Senate race for the GOP. Uh, that guy doesn't lose. Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I strongly urge that if, in fact, uh, we're going to have Thanksgiving with anyone, that we limit it to a maximum, maximum, they suggest five people, maximum ten people, socially distanced, wearing masks, and people who have quarantined. I would strongly urge for the sake, not just your sake, for the sake of your children, your mother, your father, your, your sisters, your brothers, whoever you get together at Thanksgiving, think about this. There should be no group more than 10 people in one room. 
Oh, what do you know? Uh, I am so tired of this. Uh, Vice President uh, Biden talking about no more than 10. He's making up his list now. Uh, sorry, Aunt Jane, you're off. Uh, but I really like my cousin. Let's bring him. He's a lot of fun. Maybe do a rotation thing. There's somebody for appetizers, income 10. What about another 10 for dinner? And what about another 10 for dessert? And, of course, there's the after-dinner drinks where you uh, and the afternoon game, usually the Broncos play. Who wants to come over and watch the Broncos or the Lions lose? Dr. Mark Siegel will help me with my guest list. He's a Fox News medical contributor, author of a brand-new book called COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. Dr. Siegel, is Vice President Biden being responsible or ridiculous? I think you already established the ridiculous part. You forgot to mention, Brian, Governor Newsom, who said no, nobody except in your own family can actually dine together. And then he showed up at a restaurant where everybody from all kinds of different families were dining together. And he, he said, oh, sorry, made a mistake. So there's an arbitrariness. By the way, I like your cousin, Brian, so I think, I think your cousin's invited. <laughs> okay, good. We'll see. Because we should have a medical physician decide on my guest list because you guys are the, the experts. So... As expected, as you have predicted before, sadly, there would be a surge in the winter because more people are indoors, perhaps. And you said the strain is not changing. So while we have great news about a vaccine, what have we learned from the lockdown and what can we implement now? I don't think the American people want to do this again. And I don't think it really produced the results we wanted. We thought Europe did it right. Look at them. You know, Brian, I don't think we've learned what we should learn from the, the lockdowns. I think there's been a huge amount of chaos and inconsistency across the country. Some states mask mandate. Some states you can't dine outside of your own family. Some, some states limited to six people. Some states no indoor dining. And it's, it's very chaotic. And, and the thing is, it costs the economy a tremendous amount of money. And not just that. It also de- delayed cancer screenings, treatments for heart disease. It delayed mental health screenings. There was a huge soaring amount of depression over the summer in the United States. Up to 30, 35 percent of Americans are depressed because of the lockdowns. You know what they did better in other countries that we've never talked about on the show here before, Brian? It's simple. If you need to, to, to address this from a medical point of view, you separate out the people who have COVID. You don't put them in the same hospital or in the same place as people without COVID, because that gums up the works. It interferes with your ability to do any other kind of health care. So even in China, they had COVID hotels. They had separate areas where you went where you had COVID. That will keep us from needing these lockdowns, which, as you've said, do not work at all. I'm all for physical distancing. I'm all for wearing a mask. I'm all for testing people who may be sick. But you have to have the test results back very rapidly so you know whether people needed to, you know, so you could actually contact trace and separate people out. That's the extent of it. The lockdowns are just governors and leaders like, like, like Joe Biden saying, you know, we're doing something. We're going to show you we're doing something. But what you're actually doing is destroying the country. Dr. Siegel, what do you think about if you had it and you test positive for the antibodies, do you even have to wear a mask? Well, that's a a really great question that nobody has looked at either, Brian, which is why I love coming on here. You know what? I think that there's a very high likelihood that if you had the virus, you're already immune. And we have a new antibody test out that's a little bit more specific than the one we've been using that will confirm that. So in the weeks or months to come, we're going to know that. And then those people can actually go back to work. I, I mean, look, everybody maybe should wear a mask, but if you didn't wear a mask and you had it already, the 
chances are almost non-existent that you could actually spread it or get it again. Well, it's going to be interesting because some places are locking down Michigan, Washington again, and then others and farther. They said, you know what to do. We've told you a million times. Go about your day. So we're going to see what works best, personal responsibility in a free society. So, I, uh, Brian, I, Brian, one more thing to add to this, by the way, is guess who's punished by lockdowns? Poor communities. Because rich people can afford to go to their country house. It's no big deal, right? But poor people... They lock down, and guess what? They're locking down with people who may have COVID. 70% of the spread of COVID occurs within households. How does a lockdown help you? You're locked down with people that are probably going to spread COVID to you. There's no improvement. Great point. And the other thing is uh, those low, low communities, oftentimes those jobs are excessed. A lot of times, you know, whether it's uh, working in a restaurant uh, or working in one of those stores that aren't Walmart or Target, you have to close up or Costco. So, Dr. Siegel, let's talk about the vaccines. Here's Stephen, uh, Stefan uh, Bansel of uh, Moderna, the CEO yesterday, Cut 14. This emergency use approval, uh, I think, could happen in December. And then I think you are more talking in Q1, in the first quarter, to have a full approval uh, where, you know, every American who wants a vaccine that is of 18 years of age or above can get access to a vaccine. I know he's not American, but is this an American company and is this an American first situation? I think it's going to be an American first situation, Brian, unless the Biden administration tries to change that by a term they by the by a term that Ezekiel Emanuel calls vaccine nationalism, which is a really scary term when you're living in a country with 11 million cases. And I think I think that we're in very good shape in terms of the Moderna vaccine right now, because the statistics on it looked fantastic the other day, and it doesn't have to be kept as cold as the Pfizer vaccine. And Health and Human Services made a deal with the pharmacies around the country for distribution. And I think with Operation Warp Speed and with the, with the military involved and with Gus Perna, four-star General Gus Perna involved, we have a plan in place to get that out to our healthcare workers, to our elderly, to our higher-risk groups right away. Whether it will be the Moderna or Pfizer, I think both of those we can do within the United States. If it ends up being the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, I'm pretty confident that AstraZeneca will, will – they've already made a deal with Operation Warp Speed also, a $2 billion deal for 100 million doses. I think we're in very good shape to get the vaccines here first to the high-risk groups, provided that that isn't right. changed come the end of January. I'm taking it. If it passes the, the test, you know, all the tests, that with the reason why we take the polio vaccine or measles – I'm taking it. Um, which one would you take, and what significance is it that the Moderna one does not use the virus, does not use the antibodies from the virus? Well, not only that, Brian, but the Moderna one also, the, the protein that they introduce into your body is gone in about a day or so. So there's no residual effects. And I like that all of these new platforms are not using the virus. I think that I'm, I'm looking at the Moderna vaccine myself, and I'm going to give it to you as well. I'll, I'll find a way to give it to you and me. That's going to be the first one out, uh, or the Pfizer one. But the Pfizer one has, it has to be kept much colder. You have to take two shots. You're going to get flu-like symptoms for 24 hours. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
maybe a headache. That's about it. Very well tolerated. Very, very exciting result. Robust immunity. I think you're going to see it last at least a year before you would have to have a, a booster, maybe more. These, these are very exciting. The one Dr. Siegel, about I heard about John. We have under a minute left, but Johnson & Johnson also in the final stages. What do you hear about that? You know, I was about to mention that. They have something called an adenovirus vaccine. They use a vector from a different virus, dead, completely safe, delivers a genetic payload. They may be able to do it with only one shot and not the cold storage. That's, that's coming up behind. You know, if it's a horse race, they're the one that's coming up behind. They may, they may actually win the race. J&J, also very exciting. And then one more is San, Sanofi and Novavax have a vaccine very similar to one we already have on the market. We've got about five possibilities here. Moderna's leading the race. Uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and maybe we can still have a Thanksgiving sure. and Christmas. Dr. Siegel, it's all in your book, <laughs> uh, COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. Thanks so much, Dr. Siegel. Brian, we're going to get a vaccine this year. Have uh, a very, very happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, you too. I'll talk to you again in between probably, I hope. Uh, Alan West is next chairman of the Texas GOP. Uh, don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A rapid withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan now would hurt our allies and delight delight the people who wish us harm. Violence affecting Afghans is still rampant. The Taliban is not abiding by the conditions of the so-called peace deal. The consequences of a premature American exit would likely be even worse than President Obama's withdrawal from Iraq back in 2011, which fueled, fueled the rise of ISIS and a new round of global terrorism. And I hope the president's not serious about it. And I hope this new defense secretary doesn't do it. Listen, uh, when it comes to uh, Afghanistan, keeping a presence there. They're not fighting. They're a presence there. It makes sure we have an eye an eye on Iran who's all over the place and China who's looking, looking to move in and Russia whose presence is there. And guess what? Al-Qaeda is still in the neighborhood, as is ISIS. I hope the president does not do something like that. I mean, it's bad enough when if Joe Biden gets the keys to the country— he wouldn't even do it to that level. Also, there's another report uh, that Jenna Griffin confirms. The U.S. officials at senior meetings took place last week in the White House, in which the president discussed with his NSA how to respond to last Tuesday's IAEA report that Iran was producing 12 times the amount of uranium that it was allowed to under the JCPOA. He was thinking about bombing out some sites. Let's talk to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, spent decades in the military, now chairman of the Texas GOP. Colonel, well, always great to hear from you. What do you think about the report of a total pullout of Afghanistan? Are you with McConnell or the president? Well, I am with common sense and I'm also with history. If you go back and you look at what happened when we completely uh, fled out of uh, South Vietnam, the communists came over and took over. And also you had the killing fields of Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. You just go right back to the Obama administration. You see what happened when uh, the precipitous pullout from Iraq and you created a void. And anyone will tell you a basic law of physics. You create a void, someone's going to fill it. And that was ISIS. And look at uh, what we had to deal with. So President Trump should have learned how he came in and he allowed the military and the generals to do what was necessary. And we don't
hear about ISIS. You look at what the president did with a very uh, lethal strike operation against General Soleimani that put the Iranian Revolutionary Guard on his heels. We went in, we took out al-Baghdadi. So I think that you have to maintain a presence. You don't have to have some large overarching force, but you need to be able to conduct those strike operations right there in theater instead of trying to redeploy a force back in once uh, something has gone south. So that would be my counsel that I would give to the president. Yeah, he's, there's no pressure to pull the, the 4,500 that are left there out. And the commanding general says it's different. Evidently, the secretary of defense uh, was battling with the president on that. The other part is with China now going way past 12 times the amount of uranium, it looks like he's looking at sites to bomb out uh, in Iran. What's your reaction to if he actually did that? Well, again, I think Iran is a the number one state sponsor of Islamic terrorism. Iran is not uh, a, a, a fair actor on the on the global stage, and we don't want Iran to have that capability and capacity. What Barack Obama and Joe Biden and their administration thought they could do, they could pay off Iran billions of dollars to placate them. But still, with the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the breakout time was just 10 years or so later. They still would be able to get that in state of having a nuclear device. We need to send a message to the Iranians that we're not going to allow you to uh, have that nuclear device. We're not going to allow you to be a uh, a regional hegemon there in the Middle East and to uh, flip the Middle East to your favor. And I think that's why you have seen countries like Bahrain, UAE, and others come to the peace negotiation table because they believe that the United States will stand up to Iran. If you think we could protect the 60,000 men we have in the region, would you be for targeting their sites? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just the, the people that we have in the region. It's the stability of the world. You know, we sat back around and we saw Adolf Hitler and uh, and uh, the Japan, you know, build their military forces, and we did nothing. And I think that if you're going to take away a capability capacity of evil, you have to get it very early on. All right. uh, We'll see if the president wins out on the day. It's got to be a sophisticated bombing mission. I imagine the Israelis would have to be involved with their intelligence. So to see if the president goes for that. Some other good news on the military front uh, came across and not many people are reporting it, but it certainly matters. We successfully conducted an SM3 block on an intercept test against an intercontinental uh, missile uh, from a ship. The U.S. Missile Defense said sailors aboard an uh, Aegis Ballistic Missile Defense System equipped destroyer intercept and destroyed a threat representative of an intercontinental ballistic missile. So we don't need land-based. If we could do this from ships, what does that do for our flexibility? Well, what that does for our flexibility is it extends it out, and especially when you think about the threat that uh, China is posing and also with North Korea. So that's what you want to be able to do is to reduce that response reaction time, and you want to be able to have that forward deployed capability like you can have on uh, on the ship. It comes back to the, the nuclear triad. You can have the aerial delivery, you can have the seaborne delivery, or you can have the land delivery. I think that the seaborne delivery and also what we're able to do with the the intercept shows why we must have a very strong maritime force. Well, I guess, yeah, uh, we do. And we're going to need money for that. And if Joe Biden's going to continue to have Medicare for all, pay for everybody's college, guess what's going to be rated? And I'm trying to explain that every single day that you might not like Trump's tone, but he supplied money and force and equipment to our military. This guy's going to gut it. 
And who's going to keep up with missile defense when you could please Bernie Sanders uh, by paying for everyone's deductible? It just it drives me crazy. Uh, Colonel, well, well, and we and we have been there before with the Obama Biden administration. We went down that path. We gutted our military capability and capacity. Look at what was going on. You know, you had Iran, you had Russia, you had China, you had ISIS, you had all of these threats. North Korea, and then you get someone in there that restores that capability and capacity. That understand Ronald Reagan's maxim of peace through strength, having a strong military deterrent. We haven't started any new wars or conflicts or anything. We've just been able to maintain and uh, keep those uh, those evil forces at bay. So why would we want to go back to what we saw with those years with Obama Biden? So let's go back and talk about Texas for a second. You're Lieutenant Governor. You might not know anything about this because you just got the job a few months ago. They turned down an opportunity to buy this Dominion voting system. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and we had Dan Patrick on yesterday. And I'm wondering what you know about it and do Americans have a right to worry about it? Americans do have a right to worry about it. Here in the state of Texas, 2019, uh, we took the Dominion voting systems through uh, three different uh, beta testing or, or capabilities tests, and they failed on three. And what we came to find out is that you could back in that system and, uh, you know, create issues with uh, security and also fraud and tamper with uh, voting results. And guess what? That's the exact same thing that we see right now. But the question that we need to ask, Brian, is that if Texas did this and they failed here in Texas, then why did 30 other secretaries of state allow that system to come in? Shouldn't the secretaries of state across the United States of America be talking about best practices, sharing lessons learned? So that's my big question. Was this knowledge known that uh, the Dominion voting system had failed here in Texas, but yet some other people still accepted it? Yeah, and there's no doubt about it that it looked like Amy Klobuchar and Senator Gary Peters uh, and Senator Warner and one other Democratic senator brought up in 2019 that they said, why do we buy all these systems when we know there's flaws in these systems? So when senators were going at this fair and balanced, they had problems with it. So I'm not saying that anything switched or it didn't hurt both sides, but I'm just flabbergasted. You know, I'm not looking at election systems and protocol. We provide the money. We think we're going to we can afford the best. Why are we not buying mm-hmm. the best? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and why don't we have a, a federal standard? for testing these systems to make sure that the, across the United States of America, we all have the same system. We have all taken it through the right type of testing. And so, again, I think that this is an issue that Democrats, independents, Republicans, Libertarians, Green Party, whomever, you should be concerned about the fact that we have a system that is out there that could be back-ended and you know things could be tampered with. We don't want that. That undermines our electoral system, our undermines our process, it undermines our democracy. Lastly, is there a sense in Texas on the importance of the Georgia Senate race besides something to watch? I see Carl Rove is down there organizing the fundraising effort. He says that he knows he's going to be outraised. He said Bloomberg is going to drop about $20 million alone right into Georgia. Do you believe uh, at every level people understand the importance of winning one of those two seats at least? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, I was born and raised in Georgia and uh, been in contact with the Georgia GOP and some others back there. So I'm heading to Georgia on December the 16th and probably uh, one more time again before that uh, runoff uh, senatorial election happens, because uh, 
we all here in Texas understand how important it is to have the largest state east of the Mississippi River, which is Georgia, uh, stay a strong conservative red state and not have those Senate seats go over to Chuck Schumer, who said that if he gets control of the Senate, he's going to change the world. So I want you to hear, I don't know much about Raphael Warnock, but I know that he's got some questions. He's from Martin Luther King's church, which is a huge plus. However, that's the same church that welcomed in Fidel Castro. He says, well, I was a junior pastor. What can you do? But he also said this in 2016 after Donald Trump won, cut 23. If it is true that A man who has dominated the news and poisoned the discussion for months needs to repent. Then it is doubly true that a nation that can produce such a man and make his vitriol go viral needs to repent. America needs to repent for its worship of whiteness. How about that for a slogan? Yeah, you know, uh, I don't think that's the kind of guy that uh, my first state needs as a a U.S. senator, and that's not the type of person we want up there. We need to get past this identity politics. We need to get past the – this is the tone of divisiveness, and and this is the tone that sets us apart. And it's very interesting that I hear Joe Biden talk about all this unity and what have you. But I haven't heard this uh, senatorial candidate come back and, you know, repent or apologize for that statement that he just made. That We don't need that on the national scale. But we're getting it. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, chairman of the Texas GOP, former U.S. congressman, author of Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. Uh, Colonel, also, congratulations. You came in there. You held Texas exactly at the distance as you promised. And you also uh, helped deliver the Rio Grande Valley, the Hispanic community, to understand uh, that the president can't be categorized. He's not anti-Hispanic. He's just pro the economy. And I was flat. I was uh, I was heartened to see that a lot of the people voted for the president because they did not like the whole socialism thing, and they actually wanted to be able to drill and work in the oil industry, and mm-hmm. to just to categorize them as on the border immigration issues is really almost insulting. But they weren't buying it this time. So. I think President Trump only lost by about five percentage points there, where I think he lost by about 30 with Hillary. Yes, uh, absolutely. It was incredible, the the turnaround in the Rio Grande Valley. We had a county down there, Zapata County, that had never been Republican in 100 years, and now it's a red county. So we will continue to build upon the relationships and the momentum that we have in the Rio Grande Valley. We had some great uh, congressional candidates that came real close. I mean, one of them, Monica De La Cruz Hernandez, came within two percentage points of winning a congressional district in the Rio Grande Valley, young uh, Hispanic uh, female. So we're going to keep pushing. Uh, to, to, to make sure that we can get them uh, in our column again in the municipal elections coming up in May of next year and for 2022. All right, Colonel, thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care, Brian. You got it. Uh, so, hey, let's get to the lines, one 408 When we come back, I'll find out what's on your mind as we continue to track the president's fight uh, to, uh, to recount in a series of states. He's got to make a decision soon about Wisconsin. Does he want to write an $8 million check to see if Wisconsin got it right? Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This much I do know about her uh, is that she's very knowledgeable and experienced. And while I was deeply involved in Afghanistan myself and in Iraq helping our generals who were there, I debriefed her a number of times on what my uh, assessments were. And in virtually every case that I'm aware of, she had supported our commanders in Iraq and Afghanistan mm-hmm. virtually every time. Uh, and so she's, she understands what's taken place. She's very familiar with these operations. And, and, but she's working for President-elect Biden or President Biden. Uh, if he does become our president, then he's going to drive policy just like uh, President Trump is driving uh, policy in his administration, and that's something uh, we always have to consider. And General Jack Keane talking about uh, a woman that he believes will be the next Secretary of Defense or a nominee. Uh, we'll look that up in a second. Uh, let's go out to uh, Jerry in Jacksonville. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Brian. Uh, quick point. Last year, you're worried about, you know, the, the, the military losing funding. Um, last year, they lost $75 billion, which the Pentagon can't account for. This year, they lost up to $150 billion that they can't account for. For the next four years, Brian, you can't talk about the deficit or the debt because you were completely silent for the first four years of Trump's administration. Thank you for my call. Right. Uh, Jerry, uh, I didn't know about the accountability thing. Uh, accountability has always been an issue. I thought it was great that Barack Obama did a whole accountability thing and where money's being wasted, didn't implement any of it. Number two is you cannot count, just like you can't count uh, Obama, $800 billion for a stimulus package when the economy crashed, nor can you count for the $2.5 trillion the president had to sustain while he locked the country down because he was told by his scientists he had no choice. So that's it. Uh, Terry, listening in Leesburg, Florida, listen on WDBO. Hey, Terry. Hey, the violence in Washington this weekend against the Trump supporters was despicable. If that would have been peaceful Muslims marching in the street and they would have got attacked by those thugs, or if that would have been people sitting peacefully at the outside tables at a gay bar and they would have had fireworks thrown at them, Muriel Bowser would have done something and the liberal media would have flipped their lid. It's hypocrisy beyond belief. Americans need to stand up and get some guts. Have a great day, Brian. I hear you. I I thought that was ridiculous. Uh, the fact that the president, the vice president or president elect, if he gets there, said, I'm against all violence. Why not use that opportunity to show you looking to see both sides? I saw a peaceful protest. These people want to be heard. 71 million po- voted for my opponent most ever. So I want to hear what they have to say. I appreciate their support. And what happened to them at night, they should not be targeted just because they didn't vote for me or because they're perceived not to to adhere to something I believe in. In terms of Antifa, they do no good. In terms of Black Lives Matter, agree with the phrase but not the group. I would love to have heard that from him. Eric, listen in Daytona, WNDB. Hey, where's Jerry's shovel? Because we got all these shovel-ready jobs, just saying. Um, I believe we're handling the COVID thing wrong. The lockdowns haven't worked. Here in Florida, we tried it, and it kind of piddled out. Um, I think we should take all the people at risk. Put them on the cruise ships that are sitting there idle. Take these empty hotels. Put the asthmatics, the diabetics. Put them on a little mini vacation for a month. You and I and everybody else that's healthy, we go and get COVID because the only way you're going to stop a virus is if it runs out of hosts. And uh, since it looks like we might be going into lockdown again, 
Sounds uh, like they want to give us a taste of socialism again. I think Barack Obama should lead by example and make Netflix free for six months for everybody, commercial uh, free. What do you think, sir? Well, that would be great, wouldn't it? Because he's such a powerful producer. And, boy, I cannot believe the ego of a guy that would put out two 750-page volumes of his life. I don't even think he's 60 yet. My goodness. And what has he done over the last four years except for do something totally unpresidential, and that's take the lead on ripping his uh, successor, uh, President Trump, in 2018 and 2020. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's going to be a great hour. I'll do a simulcast on FBN with Stuart Varney, the number one show in all of business television. And we got Dr. Scott Atlas, author of Restoring Quality Health, and of course, a member of the president's uh, coronavirus uh, team over at the, with the Trump administration. And he's doing a lot of great work and doing a lot of controversial work that's going against the grain. He's got a lot of courage. And we got to talk to him about it. Because I know one thing everybody I talk to has had it and knows the virus is, is uh, a challenge. But nobody's saying enough with the no travel, enough with the no work, uh, enough with the shuttering down of cities, enough with no Thanksgiving. And what do you mean we're giving up Christmas? Not okay. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We build back better. We'll do so with higher wages, including a $15 minimum wage nationwide. Better benefits, stronger collective bargaining rights that you can raise a family on. Right. Raise a family on minimum wage. Never the intent. Joe Biden lays out his economic plan and it's scary, detached and uncompromising. Where's that great deal maker we heard about? We'll explain what he plans on forcing down our throats. Number two. Americans facing some very tough choices as a coronavirus surges just before the Thanksgiving holiday. It's next Thursday. Officials in 28 states have tightened restrictions over the last two weeks. And during that period, the U.S. has recorded more than 100,000 new cases a day for 14 days in a row. No Thanksgiving, no Christmas, no way. As COVID spikes, power-hungry politicians break out the old playbook while they play by their own rules, and you're going to go along with it. I'll give you the latest. Number one. What apparently it looks like is maybe a memory card from one of the early vote devices was not loaded, which is the reason the secretary feels like in this particular case, this wasn't egregious thing. And it wasn't discovered until we did this audit. Uh, Gabriel Sterling, uh, an expert over in Georgia, he's uh, head of elections there. 2020, what we now know about the 2020 election fight, the final fight in the battleground states for the president of the United States. Yesterday, they found 2,600 votes, some tallies. And the president had a net gain of 800, but he's got a lot to go, a long way to go to make up a 14,000 deficit. And that's a quick look at what's happening. We're, we're discussing, but let's bring in Dr. Scott Atlas. Dr. Atlas, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. Atlas, uh, you always were on, always a great guest, always would uh, give a, a sensible approach to this coronavirus we knew very little about. What do we now know about this virus and our attempts to avoid getting it? Well, uh, you know, we, we know uh, that lockdowns not only don't work, 
We also know that they're extraordinarily harmful, and we must stop thinking like that. You know, we know who's at risk. We know uh, who we need to protect. We know it's very challenging to protect the elderly, the seniors, the high-risk uh, group. It's very challenging, but uh, we're going to do our best to do that. But we also know that the dramatic uh, harms of shutting schools in person, of uh, just, you know destroying businesses, of destroying families, which, by the way, the families that are destroyed, the people whose lives are destroyed are the working class and lower income people. So, you know, it's not, you know, one of my colleagues in the UK, Sunetra Gupta, an infectious disease epidemiologist, said luxury, uh, lockdowns are a luxury of the rich. And that, that really sums it up quite a bit. And we also know that there's a massive amount of fear instilled into the population that has become now an obsessive sort of irrational thought about how to proceed in life. We have to we have to understand we have a lot of these cases. It's true. There's no underplaying that there's a ton of cases. A lot of them are discovered in asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic people by testing. But there are a lot of cases. There are people being hospitalized. And, yes, there are people uh, dying. But those deaths, the number of deaths, it's not exploding like it did back in the spring. We know we're better with taking care of these patients in the hospital management. We also know we've had some major breakthroughs. Again, the Operation Warp Speed timetable and, and products of the Operation Warp Speed event, uh, at, you know, a team uh, at, the, at the White House and the administration has proven to be uh, exactly what was said by the president. President and, you know, frankly, by me, even though I was pilloried for saying that we would have vaccine announcements even possibly as early as October, but probably in November, which we did. Two highly effective vaccines with production uh, going to have about 100 million doses before the end of the year. We also have the Lilly drug that is a, a real game changer with people, seniors, mild to moderate symptoms before they get hospitalized. Seventy percent of them prevented from being hospitalized. This is talking about the highest risk group here. This is a game changer. Uh, I've seen statistics today that tens of thousands of doses have already been delivered to uh, throughout uh, most of the United States. This is fantastic news. We should be cautiously optimistic now, despite the fact that we know we're in the season of a lot of respiratory viruses. Uh, but, you know, we have to be careful here because when you confine people indoors, that's going to kill people. When you restrict businesses and close schools, then you're keeping people indoors where most of these cases spread. It's sort of counter to contrary to the data to do what some of these lockdowns are, are being proposed. The other thing I'd like to say is that, you know, a lot of the other side, they keep saying, oh, we're not for lockdowns because they know that the word lockdown is negative. Uh, but the problem is their policies are the definition of lockdown, closing in-person schools, restricting businesses, telling people to stay in their homes. That's lockdown. I hear you, uh, Dr. Atlas. It's driving me nuts, and you're the expert that, uh, that I thought was a voice of reason. Uh, the pushback that you've gotten since you became a, a member of the Trump team has been extraordinary. How have you handled it? Well, uh, <laughs> that's not so uh, not not trivial. Honestly, I'm not a politician. My position is not political in any way. I was here because the president asked me to help because I'm a health policy person. There is no health 
policy person on the task force, by the way. I'm not hired to be an epidemiologist, uh, and I'm not sure there's an epidemiologist on the task force, task force by the way. That's separate. You know, the, the pushback is I knew I would be vilified because many people in this country are just obsessed. They despise the president. He's radioactive to them. It's very important that good people step up. Uh, yes, it's at a personal cost. There's no question. But uh, this is very, very important. I'm here to help the president do one thing, save American lives. Saving American lives does not stop at stopping the COVID virus, an infection that 99.8% uh, of people under 50 uh, do, do completely well with. Uh, stopping the infection is only part of it. The costs of the policy are killing people and destroying, you know, the future of children. We're creating a generation, by the way, of neurotic children wearing masks when they have very little, if any, uh, significant risk from this. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the country's off the rails. I tried to get it back on the rails. It's not just me. It's many people. Uh, and, you know, you just have to pursue this because it's too important to give up in a good people are dissuaded right. by the mob of, of people trying to take you down, then there is no one left who's good to help. Yeah, Dr. Oz, my, my big thing is it doesn't seem like it's getting to you, but obviously it does wear on you. Uh, a couple of things. You Over the weekend you tweeted when you saw the ridiculous, my words, the ridiculous lockdown procedures that this Michigan governor was putting back on its people, remote learning, all this stuff, uh, shutting down uh, restaurants and gyms. You tweeted this out. The only way this stops is if people rise up, you get what you accept. Hashtag freedom matters. And because there was some threats on her, they said, well, wasn't well, that inappropriate? You came back and said, hey, I never was talking uh, at all about violence. People vote. People peacefully protest. Never would I endorse to incite violence. That's, to me, obvious. And listen to what Anthony Fauci said about that. You know, I totally disagree with it. And I made no secret of that. I mean, I don't want to say anything against Dr. Atlas as a person, but I totally disagree with the stand he takes. I, I, I just do, period. See so your reaction. Well, I, you know, I did not. Uh, I, what I meant on that tweet was simply exactly what, uh, you know, we've all been saying, which is that the lockdowns are not the right uh, pathway. And all I meant, because you have to realize, I get hundreds, hundreds per day, thousands per week of emails, people begging me, literally begging, if you can do that by email, to do anything I can to stop the lockdown type policies. I've had emails many emails from people begging me to continue because their husband, their daughter, their son killed themselves because of the lockdown. I get begging emails from seniors who are so distraught that they cannot see their families, their grandchildren. It may be the last Thanksgiving from them or Christmas for them, and they're being told they cannot see them. Okay, this is a, a terrible, terrible uh, mistake, really, of, of our public officials. So all I was saying, or I was trying to say, was if you want to have things change, you, you have to have your voices heard. I am absolutely not endorsing any kind of dramatic thing. I don't want to put any public official in jeopardy. I never wanted to have any violence. 
That is just absolutely not what I meant. And, uh, you know, we really need to uh, really, again, take into account what we're doing as a country. It's very difficult because there is now uh, the country is still off the rails. This has not changed. I was hoping after the election that would sort of uh, be minimized, but it's not. Uh, I'm not sure what the future holds for people because people are dug in. Uh, you know, the people that are uh, claiming they're against lockdown, these very visible people, they instilled fear into the public, the public health officials. They kept stressing what we don't know. Oh, my God, children have these rare exceptions, therefore we don't know the risk to children. That's just not true. That's not an interpretation of medical science that's correct. And I have been really the main voice, uh, honestly, it's obvious, uh, inside the White House uh, for ending the lockdown type policies. And the president also uh, early on said we can't have these sort of lockdown type policies because, as he put it, the cure cannot be worse than the disease. And I think that's common sense. Everyone really should get on board with that. And to keep recent, we cannot enter at sort of this unending cycle of lockdowns. We see it happening all over the world, by the way. The lockdowns don't get rid of the virus. Uh, if you lock down, and especially if we start doing this now, what are we going to do? Think about it. We're going to push these cases into the middle of winter. Okay, then what? Then there's no possibility of social distancing. Then the people who are high risk family members, it's not possible to protect them because everyone's indoor. All group things are indoor. And we're going to end up really with a bigger problem, which is part of what's happening now because of these lockdowns and uh, in the past and these slowdowns and these partial business uh, closures and the in-person school closures. To me, it's unconscionable to close in-person schools. Absolutely, not just unconscionable from the harms to the children, but it's it's irrational when you look at the data on schools when there's very low risk and there's limited amount of transmission. And Dr. Atlas, the private schools are back. I don't know why we're going back to that. The private schools are back. The Catholic schools are back. The one that need tuition are back. They'll play in sports. It's the public opportunities that where everyone's doing the remote learning. And by the way, no one's learning remote. Almost no Nobody. It's not working. So just understand that you have a fourth grader, an eighth grader, or eleventh grader. Just know they're missing school. So yeah, they'll be getting tests and they'll probably bend them so they're passable, but they're not learning. So you decide if that's worth paying seventy thousand dollars for a college education that you're basically doing in your dorm room. It makes no sense, uh, especially when the numbers are what the numbers are. Doctor Atlas, we drive and we could get in a car accident tomorrow, but yet we take those risks. Doctor Atlas, here's what somebody you don't watch and I don't watch said about you. Someday, you're going to have to deal with real questions. And either you're going to come on a show or you're going to do it. But you know what? We may go back to old school. And maybe the questions will come find you. Maybe when you're living your life nice and easy, because you don't have the concerns that these same people that you're telling to rise up, that they have. Maybe the questions will come and find you, because you have to answer for that kind of guidance, let alone as a doctor. Do no harm. Invite grandma. This could be her last Thanksgiving. Yeah, if you invite her to a place where she can get sick and die. Okay, uh, here's a guy that was walking around infecting his neighborhood, lying to everybody when he was hiding in his basement. That's Chris Cuomo. So I guess he's saying that people are going to find you, Dr. Atlas. Listen, uh, I, I don't want to comment on some kind of a, that, that kind of statement. It's sort of uh, it's beneath the level of, of public discussion. I'm going to ask you this, then. People like to say that the president's detached because he has not met in a few months with the task force. But do you talk to him? Is the president detached from the virus? 
No, that's a total distortion. People that say that kind of stuff, they don't even they don't even understand the mechanics of the task force meetings. They don't have any clue as to what's going on, or they're uh, just you know motivated by other things. I, I don't want to say that. That's just ridiculous. And lastly, Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci. I mean, do you guys have uh, arguments when you're in this task force? Me, uh, you know, I. Th- you know, I mean, the, the, when you have scientific disagreements or discussions about things, uh, people have disagreements. I wouldn't characterize things as arguments. And, you know, I mean, uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, you know, it's not really public business what goes on in private meetings. I'm not sure who would run to the media and their friends in the media and discuss that sort of stuff. I, I, just, I just don't do that. My role is not to talk about that. My role is to advise the president. Uh, to help do it the best possible uh, way to save American life, period, and there's nothing else that counts. I agree, and I, I thank goodness you're there. Uh, we always loved booking you before you became an official, and now you took the big pay cut to go help out in Washington, and people don't like the fact that you want people to live their lives responsibly. Uh, Dr. Scott Atlas, can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, thanks, Brian. Thanks for the opportunity. You got it. one 408 Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 766 Let's go out to Ryan. Listen, Rockland County, New York, and WABC. Hey, Ryan. All right, Brian. And folks, in life, you don't get to pick other people's heroes. But when you use a virus or if you use uh, an ability to uh, people to lose their jobs because something you don't like what they say, that's economic, to me, is economic terrorism. And you want to know something? That Dairy Queen out in San Francisco, she used this virus. She used American people as pawns. There was people out of work, small business owners losing their businesses. People were scrambling to pay bills. And she used the stimulus um, bill as a, as a pawn during this election. And you want to know what? There's people out there hurt, and that's pure evil what goes on. And Trump, on the other hand, why did he lose? Well, people aren't talking about it. In 2016, he got 62% of the white male vote. This year, he got 58% of the white male vote. And Mike Wallace really showed that Trump is not a street guy because when he said, you're going to denounce supremacy, what does that have to do with a presidential debate? It had nothing to do with it, but they knew that Trump and Pence were afraid to use the words Black Lives Matter. I would have threw it back in Wallace's face on that. So, folks, this is what it comes down to. If this election goes your way or doesn't go your way, it's going to be up to the individual. It's going to be one outside the beltway. I spent the early part of my life trying to get Pat Buchanan into the White House. Folks, take a look at that man. That is a great man. All right, Ryan. Good job. I appreciate the opinions. one 408 John Roberts is going to bring us the latest on the president's effort uh, to battle out again in these battleground states in Georgia and in Pennsylvania specifically. And will he make that decision to spend $8 million to recount Wisconsin? Then we're going to uh, take a little time out and then go on with Stuart Varney and then fill in with some calls uh, on FBN. Uh, so you can watch us on Fox Nation, but for 15 minutes, in 15 minutes, you can see us on FBN too. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I interpret that as Trumpianism. No change in his modus operandi. And so we're moving along, uh, knowing what the outcome will be. And uh, um, as I said earlier, and I probably shouldn't repeat it, but I find this uh, more embarrassing for the country than debilitating for my ability to get started. Uh, that is a press conference yesterday where five benign questions were asked of the uh, vice president and many people believe president-elect uh, Joe Biden yesterday. He's looking to get into the transition process, looking to get that check from uh, the GSO and looking to uh, collaborate with the president's team on uh, the coronavirus as well as national security issues. But it has not happened as the president battles it out in Georgia, Pennsylvania and Nevada. Joining us now to help us out and bring us the absolute latest, John Roberts, Fox News chief White House correspondent. John, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. Hey, uh, John, we understand, too, yesterday, Robert O'Brien, we saw the soundbite. He said, listen, you know, if it looks like Joe Biden won the election, it looks like uh, Don Trump Jr. said something similar today. Is the president coming to that conclusion at all? Well, I think, first of all, let's just deconstruct what O'Brien and Donald Trump Jr. said. Uh, O'Brien was giving a sort of an either-or scenario, saying that people at the White House would prefer that the president had another four years, but if it goes Joe Biden's way, and he said, and for the moment it looks like it's headed that way, then there would be a professional transition. Uh, O'Brien wasn't really saying that he believes that Joe Biden is currently the president-elect. He just thinks that the current is just reflecting the current vote count, but still holding out hope that uh, the president will get another four years. And and what uh, Donald Trump Jr. Um, tweeted was that control of the Senate is on the line, uh, which means that uh, he would be discounting the idea that at 50-50, uh, Mike Pence would continue to be the tiebreaker, but I think that he was probably speaking in general terms. But if you look at the reality of the situation, Brian, because you've got to be realistic here, overturning 537 votes in a uh, state the size of Florida, uh, deciding the election in the year 2000 is one thing. Overturning thousands upon thousands of votes in several states is another thing. And and I think the bigger play here is not necessarily to overturn uh, the vote count, but to for the president to convince his followers that had it not been for voting irregularities like we see in in one district in Clark County, Nevada, as we see in Georgia with not counting 2,600 votes, uh, irregularities uh, that are popping up in Pennsylvania as well, that the president would have won a second term in office, which which preserves his status as not, quote, losing to Joe Biden. Uh, but having the election, quote, taken from him. And if he decides to run again in 2024, he's not the guy who, quote, lost to Joe Biden. He's the guy who, quote, had the election taken away from him with mass mail-in voting as a result of coronavirus restrictions. So I, th- I think that's the bigger play here. It's a public relations perception that the president didn't, quote, lose to Joe Biden, that he would have, quote, won had it not been for these irregularities. And that's something that he is trying to sell to his base. And all indications are that thus far he is very effective. 
effectively selling that notion to his base. John, we used to the president meeting all the time. By the way, uh, not you. You get it. But so many in the White House don't fully understand how different the communication is going to be if Joe Biden takes over. Uh, and it's going to be more traditional. I get it. There's also going to be people iced out and a lot less access than you're used to. And I know uh, by the helicopter, the conversations with all comers from all outlets, small, big, large, hate, love, doesn't matter. He took the president, took them all. How do you explain it, his decision over the last 10 days? And it's, it's probably a smart one to not say anything. Except for that uh, I, I, I think that it's based, it's based on, on the premise that I just laid out to you, that the president doesn't want to take any questions that suggest that he did not win the election. He doesn't want to take any questions about why aren't you conceding? Why aren't you giving Biden a transition? Because right now, the narrative that the president is trying to frame and promote is this idea that the election is being taken from him and is disenfranchising 73 million people who voted for him. And if he subjects himself to questions which turn the narrative in the other direction, he's going to have a difficult time maintaining his position. So I think that's why he's staying quiet. Um, you know, I had a long conversation with some White House officials yesterday who suggest that at you know, a, a certain point in time, and not sure exactly when that is, but I would probably suggest it would be around the end of the first or second week of December, the president will begin to come back out again. But I, I think, Brian, that he's probably going to uh, stay away from taking questions until this whole thing is resolved one way or the other. As to when it's resolved, I think we'll easily go through Thanksgiving week and maybe a week, week and a half after that. But then you start to get into these certification deadlines. You get into a deadline of December 8th to exercise all challenges on the state level. Um, California certifies its vote on December the 11th, and then you've got the electors voting on the 14th. So the 14th is is a hard deadline. Uh, all of these other deadlines, the Trump campaign, I believe, are somewhat soft, and they'll keep throwing spaghetti against the wall and see if something sticks. The big important case going on in Pennsylvania this afternoon, if the Trump campaign loses <clears throat> on this motion to dismiss, um, then they're going to find it hard to, to mount any other challenges in Pennsylvania. But, I, you know, I think they'll keep trying. And again, I think this goes through Thanksgiving at the at the at the least and maybe into the second week of December. And we know Georgia's going to finish up by midnight Wednesday. We know twenty six hundred votes and the president got about eight hundred of those votes that just that they just found. Uh, and now in Pennsylvania, they say they have not given up. They stay, they hope to challenge about 560,000 votes. Do you think they will decide to write an $8 million check to recount of Wisconsin? You know, I, I don't know. They've, they've got the – I think they've got the cash on hand to be able to do it. But, you know, if, 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 if the difference were in the hundreds of votes, then you could make a case for, yes, let's do a recount. But when the difference is in the tens of thousands of votes, Brian, that is such a huge hill to climb that I don't know how they would do it. You know, unless they can find a way to exclude hundreds of thousands of votes uh, that came in via mail. I, I don't know how you turn back a margin that big. Uh, John Roberts with us. John, I, I don't think the president thought he was going to lose. Uh, like, like some people thought, you know, they like to speculate he knows he was losing after he got the vote. No way. I, I don't think he expected to lose. And, and I think he really does believe it, it really goes down to these mail-in ballots. Can I tell you something? I think I think he knew that there was – I think he knew it was going to be a challenge to get to reelection. Earlier this year, in February, had had coronavirus not coming along, I think he would have cruised to reelection. He probably would have had 320, 330 electors, somewhere in there, electoral votes. I don't know what the exact number would be. But then coronavirus came along. The, the president couldn't believe that this was happening. I, I think he tried to 
present the sunniest, most optimistic uh, view of this that he possibly could. But but I think that he knew that he was in in difficulty because he and I had a conversation aboard Air Force One, in which he said, "Who knows." how this is going to go in November. So I, I think he held open the possibility that maybe it wasn't going to go his way. Um, and and the way that this all unfolded on election night was exactly how we were briefed, that there would be an initial red wave from in-person voting that was the first thing to be counted, and then that would dissipate as these mail-in votes, which were going to go overwhelmingly for Biden, were counted. But the president is is and his campaign are making the argument that, look, you know, asking for an absentee ballot is one thing, but mass mailing yes. out without without being uh, with without being um, applied for these 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 ballots to people on the voter rolls and who knows how up to date the voter rolls are could cause real problems and that's the premise that they're still trying to fight on. I guess so. I guess you're right. Which is pretty amazing too. Uh, you know, when we're not looking in the review Marriott and doing the analysis on a roundtable, uh, but Looking at where he was, the Mueller report, the the cloud that was over his election, complaining about the crowd size compared to Obama, uh, the Mueller report gets launched, all the Russia investigation, the impeachment things that happen, and then all of a sudden, you, in retrospect, you think, despite all that, he was still rolling to a re-election. Usually one of those things would, would maybe cut your knees out. I mean, when you look at the fact, Brian, that some 73 million people voted for him and that more people voted for him than any other president in the, in the past, and the only person who's gotten more, more votes than he did was, was Joe Biden, I think it's quite remarkable. As you said, most presidents, any one of those things that he went through would have taken him out at the knees in terms of, of re-election. So for him to get this close uh, after everything that he went through really is quite remarkable. And it, it, it speaks to the fact that polling still does not oh. know how to figure out how to get to the Trump voter. In 2016, the polls were all showing Hillary Clinton's going to run away with it. I remember exit polls of the day were saying, we're going to call it for Hillary Clinton by about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And everything was right. completely wrong. And, and I was out there on the campaign trail, and I saw all these thousands of people coming out to these rallies and thinking, <laughs> if the polls were accurate, these thousands of people wouldn't be here, so they're missing something. And then I, I saw see. the same thing again this year. And, and, and it was even to a greater degree, because in 2016, he was having these rallies, but he was having them inside convention centers, arenas, that yeah. sort of thing. In the closing weeks of the campaign, he had people standing out in freezing cold weather and rain waiting to see him. That shows voter enthusiasm. That shows commitment. And the polls did not pick that up. And John Roberts there every step of the way. I can't wait to see your book, John. Um, and, and you're a big advance. You're going to have to write it for me, Brian, because I don't have time. It's too recent. I like to go think way in the past where no one can yell at me. They're all dead. John Roberts, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Hey, when we come back, Barney and company. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade. 
Quick mention now, Cedric Richmond is going to be joining the Joe Biden administration, and that's exactly what Nancy Pelosi did not want. She did not want House members to join the administration because they have such a slim lead. Right now, I think it stands at 218 to 204. Out of the 10 seats that is still open as of Sunday, Burgess Owens was 11. Burgess Owens was lifted from it. Five are Republicans with substantial leads. So let's listen to Stuart Varney on FBN. Now, uh, on the dock, we have Brian Kilmeade joining us. Good to see you, Brian. Let's get started with this. Governor Cuomo giving advice about handling mistakes. Watch this. The key is to be strong and secure enough to admit your mistakes and admit your shortcomings. Don't get defensive. Denying the mistake only assures repeating the mistake. Well, was that directed right at President Trump? I think it was. Brian, what do you make of it? It's unbelievable. The arrogance that he consistently has shown and the lack of self-awareness in publishing that book to tell you how to handle the coronavirus when we are number one in New York of deaths as well as not answering the question of how between six and 12,000 people died in nursing homes because of your policy. And when pressed, you know what he does? He says it was the federal government policy from the CDC that I put out. And Seema Verma has come out and said, I had nothing to do with that. That is not CD policy. That is 100% wrong. Where's the accountability? Also, what is, what is so underappreciated and underreported, and not many people around the country care, but it matters. The mayor and governor from the same party hate each other's guts. They oftentimes counter-program each other with policies that do this one thing called hurting everybody in the region, hurting the city, destroying the city. This guy gutted the number one city in the world and wants a high five for it and now wants us to own up to the fact that we may have walked across, uh, walked against traffic one time so we get, we get okay with our maker. I mean, uh, the arrogance of him is unbelievable. Also, anytime things get tough, he blames the president. When in need, he credits the president. When he gets uh, the things delivered uh, after they get there, then he criticized the president. He seems to think that makes him stronger. It doesn't. Okay. I was watching Fox and Friends this morning, and you were talking about the lockdown restrictions in New York State on Thanksgiving. No groups of 10, etc., etc., etc. I think you had a sheriff from New York State on who said, I'm not going to police this. I'm not going to walk into somebody's house and count how many diners are around the turkey table. Tell me more about this, because I think we've got a, a, a compliance problem with some of these Thanksgiving restrictions. There's about six different sheriffs in upstate New York, and for people around the country, upstate New York, as Stuart knows, is like rural. America looks more like yeah. Iowa than New York City, so it's wide open spaces. He goes, you think I'm going to go into these rural communities and knock on their door and do a head count? Forget it. Not doing it. And he, he recited one point when somebody came up to him, a senior citizen, and said, I'm thinking about having my son over. I want to see my grandkids, but I don't want my son to get in trouble. Should I not invite him and put him in a bad situation? He said, listen, I'm the sheriff. I'm not cracking down. Don't worry about it. We all know how to be responsible. Did you ever think, Stuart, you'd be living in a country and work to get citizenship in that yeah. country when we'd have, we were told, forget about Christmas, forget about Thanksgiving, yeah, be really. responsible? That's exactly what we're hearing from these geniuses like the governor of Michigan and Washington and uh, Oregon. And this can't stand. What an extension of government power over our individual lives and homes. But I've got one more for you, Brian. Hold on. Squad member, Elon Omar, you know what's coming. She's comparing Trump rallies to Klan rallies. Just watch this. He chose to speak about me at every single rally. It didn't really matter where he was. Uh, right. and sometimes 
multiple times in a day um, as he had held his Klan rallies throughout the country. Yeah, I, did you hear that, Brian? I'm sure you did. Klan rallies. Deary me. Have at it. Well, it's, uh, it's inexcusable. She and her squad decided to have a high profile within the Democratic Party, at which time they were bragging about the influence they're going to have on the vice president, former vice president of the United States. That made them ripe for to be scrutinized, let's say. And it has nothing to do with the color of the skin. It's what they believe. They believe we should be a socialist country. They believe that we should get rid of oil, gas, and cows. They believe they were fundamentally bad, built on slavery. All those things are against what Donald Trump stands for. And the people, get this, that support Donald Trump, show up at his rallies. 15 to 20 percent, they say, are Democrats or undecideds. So they were there. And for the president to point out an individual rather than a blank policy and put a face behind it is just a Democratic face. It's nothing to do with the color of their skin. And that is why a Burgess Owens, a Herschel Walker, a Mike Tyson, a George Foreman, right. a Jim Brown, a Daryl Strawberry say, of course he's not racist. It's who you are, not the color of your skin or your right. background that matters to him. Exactly. Brian, you're on form again today, and we appreciate that. You Mr. sound surprised, Kilby. Stuart. You we'll sound see. surprised. <laughs> no, no. We'll see you soon. Go Thanks very him. much. Thank you. one 408 Let's go to Terry listening in uh, New Mexico. Hey, Terry. Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call, Brian. Great show. Thank you. Um, with your regard to the discussion with Dr. Alice yes. Atlas and his criticism regarding the closing of public schools, um, I'm a retired business professor, and I suspect that if we stopped paying public school teachers, that the public schools would miraculously reopen. Yeah. Uh, there's no motivation for opening schools as long as teachers are being paid and enjoying an extended paid vacation. And I listen, I know some teachers have underlying conditions coming off uh, challenging physical things or getting up in age. I'm not saying that they're not taking a little bit of a risk, but everybody's taking a little bit of a risk. We take risks when we get in our cars, get on a train, uh, stand by the tracks. Uh, I think that life is full of risks. And if you are susceptible, we could work out some type of payment program for you until we get the vaccine all across the country. And we get those substitute teachers who have to wait way too long in the New York area to get a job. We get them a shot at being full-time until things are better for all. But that is true. If these politicians stop getting paid every time they lock down a city block, they wouldn't be locking down that city block. They'd be thinking about ways to keep it open. That's got to be the attitude. It's a can't-do attitude that's not an American attitude. And it's not okay. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, but heard around the world, heard around the country, of course. And right now we're just monitoring this uh, another big tech talking to the Senate Judiciary Committee. This time you got Dorsey and you got Zuckerberg and you have the CEO of uh, Google, although I have not seen him up yet. And they're remote and they're answering questions about how great they did, they claim, during this election. 
but I am not seeing it. They're bragging. Zuckerberg's bragging that he stopped conspiracy uh, sites like QAnon. If you're going to use an example like QAnon, go ahead. I don't know anything about it. But I think you could say we stopped Antifa, which is spreading heads, uh, hate speech, and we noticed that Black Lives Matter tends to be a little militant. But I didn't see that. They said they're very proud that they got the word out about the, the right to vote. But are they doing uh, the whole push to vote in when they put their $400 million in, in uh, Facebook uh, reportedly did? Were they doing it in states or in regions or in urban centers? They seem to put their hand on the scale. And um, I think that you're going to see a lot of conservatives teeing off. So we'll give you some of those highlights as they develop. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Dan Rooney, he's a multiple, um, he's a fighter pilot and the only PGA uh, golfer, professional golfer, fighter pilot in the world. He wrote a book about, you know, he's a founder of Folds of Honor. He talks about how he got to where he is. He's got a great message just a week after Veterans Day. And we'll also take your calls. I see a lot of them up there. So uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When we build back better, we'll do so with higher wages, including a $15 minimum wage nationwide, better benefits, stronger collective bargaining rights that you can raise a family on. Uh, That is uh, Joe Biden. Kind of scary. He lays out his economic plan. There is no give there. There's no talking about coming to a a deal on the stimulus plan. We'll explain what he's going to be forcing down our throats. Number two. Americans facing some very tough choices as a coronavirus surges just before the Thanksgiving holiday. It's next Thursday. Officials in 28 states have tightened restrictions over the last two weeks. And during that period, the U.S. has recorded more than 100,000 new cases a day for 14 days in a row. Certainly a challenge, but no Thanksgiving, no Christmas, no way. That can't be the answer. As COVID spikes, power-hungry politicians break out the old playbook of lockdown and shut up while they play there by their own rules. Are you going to go along with that? I'll give you the latest. Plus, what we just said, spoke to Dr. Scott Atlas about how he feels about lockdowns. Number one. What apparently it looks like is maybe a memory card from one of the early vote devices was not loaded, which is the reason the secretary feels like in this particular case, this was an egregious thing. And it wasn't discovered until we did this audit. Well, Gabriel Sterling, head of elections in Georgia, when talking about finding 2,600 uncounted votes. What we know now about the 2020 election and the president fight from Pennsylvania to Wisconsin uh, to Georgia and what he's planning on doing, as well as the Senate runoff elections, the most impactful in modern American history. And that's where we'll start. First off, we're, we're finding out that money's going to be pouring in on the Democratic side, and there's already 600,000, according to Stacey Abrams. She has 600,000 applications for mail-in absentee ballots. So that's going to be key. One thing I'm heartened by, and you should be too, no one's getting a ballot that doesn't request it. Because people that used to live in an area, their uh, ballot rises up, uh, shows up in the mailbox. People uh, theoretically fill it out, send it in. A lot of people came back and said, I was listed as having voted already when I didn't vote at all. 2,600 votes were found yesterday in uh, this county in Georgia. They said it didn't get put through the system. They said it was human error. They put him through the system. It turns out most of the votes went to Trump. But is it enough to make up for 14,000? Not yet. The Georgia Secretary of State is a real piece of work. He's a Republican. All he does is fight with the president and fight with people like Lindsey Graham and make up stories that Lindsey Graham— I uh, was asking him 
to get rid of uh, ballots that didn't have signature, non-matching signatures. No, he was asking the process of civilians learning to identify signatures and how much training they got. He thought it was a good conversation. In Clark County, Nevada, they called for a revote in a commission race because of a voter discrepancy, and it was significant. It would probably give the Republican the win. The president thought that was a big deal. He said big victory at the state of Nevada that all Democratic county commissioners race at the same, same ballot as the president just thrown out. Clark County is what where Vegas is. So that is part of this issue. The president hoping to find something there, something that would give him tens of thousands of votes. Ari Fleischer weighed in about Georgia. Cut four. Georgia's got some explaining to do. The people in charge of that county have some explaining to do. I'm glad they announced it. I'm glad they didn't try to sweep it under the rug. It looks like the president might pick up a net 800 votes as a result of this. Uh, can he pick up more? Are there other similarities in other counties? That's why it's important to pursue this. The margin is still a high margin, but it's important to pursue it. How did this happen? How did the president get 72 million votes? Anyone who says, oh, he was repudiated, America didn't want him, they regret the vote, they gave him 8 million more votes. Oh, the Hispanic community, the minority communities, no, he got more African-American votes, got more African-American young men, and got more Hispanic votes. Carl Rove weighed in on what he saw and what he's seen in this election. And I got some other stats, too. Cut eight. Milwaukee, 317,000 this year. Uh, 288,000 last time around, a difference of 29,000. Again, not a big differential between them. And if you look at across the country, in Dallas, Biden gets almost 130,000 votes more than Hillary Clinton does. In in Houston, Harris County, he gets nearly 200,000 votes more than Hillary Clinton does. Why? Because he got 1.3 million more votes in Texas than she got four years ago. Turnout was as a much smaller percentage of the voting age population four years ago than it was today. Cleveland, not much difference there. 402,000 this time around for Biden, 398 for her last time around. Cook County, Illinois, Chicago, bad reputation for elections, right? Yeah. 1,680,000 last uh, this year, this fall, 1,610,000 last time around, a difference of 70,000 votes in, in that county. So my point is, is that the, the idea that we've only got four places in the country where Biden outperforms Hillary compared to four years ago, not exactly true. So uh, you have the president did quite well, but not enough. You know, the other thing that Mark Penn came up with, he's Democratic. He's, he's a pollster and he worked for the Clintons. But I wouldn't say he's necessarily Democratic. I'm sure he would prefer Biden win. But he said, we're con- where he goes, we are one country divided by two parties. He says, the quote is, we are shockingly moderate. The nation's largely moderate, judging by exit polls. He says on health care, immigration, stimulus, and other thorny issues, the extremes of the parties have pushed, been pushed to the limits. Only 24% of the electorate says they're liberal. 38% says they're conservative. Another 38% says they're moderate, despite the widespread publicity given the left. Since 2014, a good year for Republicans, the percentage of self-identified liberals has declined, while the share of conservatives has gone up three points. By now, everyone knows President did worse in the suburbs and better with minorities than in 2016. Technically, he says it's true, but he looked at the stats. He said the suburban swing occurred before the 2018 midterms, which, of course, the the Democrats took back the House. And the minority shift was relatively small, except for Hispanic voters in Florida and in Texas. Some surprising findings, he says, were overlooked. Trump's margin of victory among white women increased from 11 to 13. And his advantage, though, but his advantage among white men narrowed from 30 points 
to 23 points. Could have been a difference. Biden expanded the Democratic lead among moderates third to 30 points from 12 in 2016. That was huge. And the single most significant change, moderate men swung the race to Biden. I never thought that was going to be the case. But it was. Meanwhile, if you thought that Joe Biden was going to be a moderate who's cut deals, listen to him yesterday. I mean, this guy was, uh, this guy sounded like Bernie Sanders. First, he, of course, talked about how bad a person Trump is for not conceding. We expected that. And then he said about uh, the corona vaccine, he said he would take that, finally doing something responsible. But here he is talking about Thanksgiving gathering, gatherings, cut 12. They strongly urge that if, in fact, uh, we're going to have Thanksgiving with anyone, that we limit it to a maximum, maximum. They, they suggest five people, maximum 10 people, socially distanced, wearing masks, and people who have quarantined. I would strongly urge for the sake, not just your sake, for the sake of your children, your mother, your father, your, your sisters, your brothers, whoever you get together at Thanksgiving, think about this. All right, so he's going to go to 10. And he keeps saying, as Scott Atlas brought up to us previous at previous hours from the President's Coronavirus Task Force, he said, listen, they keep saying we're not going to do a lockdown, but they're doing a lockdown. In Michigan, in Washington, in Seattle, in Seattle, uh, uh, Seattle, Washington, they're doing a lockdown. In Oregon, they're doing a lockdown. In Pennsylvania, they're heading towards a lockdown. Look at Philadelphia. They're just not saying it like they did last time. Uh, because psychologically, we know there's be a, a big blowback. And I think most people are not going to do it. Going to be responsible. We're not going to lock down. And I think to tell restaurant, restaurants to close again and gyms to close again is not going to fly. But listen to what Joe Biden's saying about minimum wage. Cut 20. When we build back better, we'll do so with higher wages including a $15 minimum wage nationwide, better benefits, stronger collective bargaining rights that you can raise a family on. So in a situation where almost every business is stretched that isn't a Walmart, a Target, or a Costco, right, we are going to tell them, all those business owners, you know, we just let you reopen, but I need you to up everybody's price. I need the the $15 minimum wage to go to Montana as well as Orlando, Florida. Are you kidding? That is responsible? And you know, too, if you're making 15, now you're going to get 25. And then my business, my business and my margins disappear. I say I'm not hiring any more people. Didn't Barack Obama's terrible economic policies, his inability to think about our next step in responsive to your step, remind him of anything? So when it comes to student loans, I sympathize. I understand people sign up for a parent student loan and another student loan. But is this something that a country can do? Cut 21. The legislation passed by the Democratic House calls for immediate $10,000 forgiveness of student loans. It's holding people up, making sure that we have access, free education for anyone making under $125,000 for four years of college. And there is a program that exists now under the law that forgives student loans for being able to engage in engaging in public service. So listen, the, the number one, I never heard of that. If it is, it's been the most underpublicized program ever. How many people would want to do public service and get out of hundreds of thousands of student loans and a lot of parents' loans for the students? Number two is $10,000 forgiveness. Okay, $10,000 off the top. If you're in a $70,000 school and you pay me taking ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 and you do that over the course of four years, it's only a small change monthly. If you want to forgive all of it, the government's going to absorb all of it. What about the people that paid off their loans that are 32 and just about done? Are they suckers? 
are they are they are they somebody that should just get a little bit more street smart and wait for someone to walk up and decide the college should be free? And what kind of value is it of a college free? And if it's a public college, that means there's no pressure to keep tuitions down. So I, I don't know where he's coming from, but he also said when it came to the stimulus package, he wants the HEROES Act passed. That's $3.4 trillion. Hillary Clinton cut a trillion off that in negotiations with Steve Mnuchin. That's how unmoving this guy is. Congratulations, America. This is what you got. Oh, and when it comes to cutting the budget, I think he knows exactly what he's going to do. He's coming for defense. And you Pentagon, uh, you Pentagon employees that were so upset because Donald Trump's approach to things that had a chance to fatten your budgets and expand your, uh, expand your fleets and your people and your equipment, good luck in the next generation. They just had a successful uh, a missile shield launch blocking a ballistic missile from a ship. That only happens because you're putting time and money into R&D. When that money dries up, so so Mr. and Mrs. Middle Class who make under $125,000 can go to college for free instead of working it through the process when there's already Pell Grants and there's state aid and there's different programs. I'm all for giving people a hand with college. But what kind of lesson is it is, hey, if you have a loan, just hold out for a couple of years and we'll just forget about it. I have news for you. It's not going to work in the rest of the in the rest of your life. Uh, we're going to come back and take some calls. Uh, we're also going to be uh, talking about this uh, big tech hearing on Capitol Hill. And Mark Zuckerberg just said, I am for updating regulations when it comes to the Internet. Really? Any suggestions? Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You know, of course, um, the loss of the House majority is just extraordinarily upsetting to all of us is extremely difficult on both just a personal and a policy and a political level. The only problem with her depression is that AOC, you have not lost the majority. It's getting close. Believe me. I think it's 218 to 204. She was talking about the amount of races they lost, 12 in all, and it's going to grow. You have a situation where Lee Zeldin hasn't won yet, but he's up by 20 points. This guy, Andrew Garbarino from this, by the way, to New York. This is a good sign for Republicans. Their second district, Andrew Garbarino, he's up substantially by 16 points. They have not called this race yet that I know of. This guy, George Santos, a Republican, is leading the uh, Tom Suozzi uh, by about 900 uh, votes, maybe 1,000 votes by now. And in the New York's, these are all New York. New York's 18th district, Patrick Maloney, uh, a Democrat, is leading uh, Miss Farley, a Republican, just by four points, because New York can't count ballots. That's how prideful Governor Cuomo should admit his mistake by not having an election system, by having this job for almost 12 years. Brian, listening in North Carolina. Hey, Brian. Hey, how you doing? Good. Get this. Get this. I've got a nephew who's lived in Georgia, who has not lived in Georgia since he was six years old. He got an unsolicited voter ballot for Georgia. Now, I've worked in Atlanta for 15 years, driver's license registered, and no ballot was sent to me. So, you know, I kind of wonder what's the criteria for sending out these ballots in some of these states? Well, I don't know. You have to request it. Are you talking about for the Senate runoff or overall? 
No, for the presidential election. Oh, uh, the unsolicited ballots. I don't believe I didn't think that was the case in Georgia. I thought it was the only battleground state I thought was Nevada. That was Georgia is kind of that would catch me by surprise. I don't know who requested that. There were crazy things going on in Georgia. But we're going to find out, too, with these Senate races, because a lot of people in Georgia, even though they're getting one hundred thousand hundred thousand people a year or something added to their uh, the metropolitan area. A lot of people are stunned that they turned blue this this time. First time since 1996. Uh, let's go out to Doreen listening in New Jersey. Hey, Doreen. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Thank you. Okay. Listen, I have a few points here. I hope you won't rush me off because they're they're very, very, okay. Uh, number one, the swamp, I believe they're prepping Kamala Harris to be the president while Joe Biden will ironically have had suffered a brain hemorrhage and he'll be in a nursing home. Number two, Obama started. Well, let's hope all he doesn't have a brain hemorrhage or a nursing a home. But he, there, stepping aside before four years is up would not surprise me. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, he is a racist and a lover of Farrakhan. Now, you remember way back, Brian, when he just became the president, he tried to get this police officer into some trouble. And it was um, a professor. I think he was an African-American Yeah, I professor. remember. Okay. So there's where the, the, the fishiness starts, because this was always his quality. So he started a great deal of this. And number three, if we close down this country, Brian, along with the transition period of presidents here, we're going to lose this country. They're licking their chops. China and Iran are in cahoots. And I'm telling you, we're going to be – our heads will be spinning. Absolutely, Doreen. In New Jersey, I tell you, you're going to shut down as fast as New York. Murphy's out of control. All he does is to shut down, go into the turtle position. He has nothing proactive because he's rich. What does he care? 1-866-408-7669. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Sarah White Duncan, and I am the proud daughter of Captain Dennis Michael White of the United States Air Force, who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms April 18th of 1995. I am so grateful to the Folds of Honor for honoring my dad's sacrifice by educating his legacy and providing me a scholarship to Auburn University. War Eagle. Wow, and that is just uh, one of the many people that benefited from Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney's uh, foundation folds of honor and he's been on before and he's actually uh he actually is an advertiser on wabc our affiliate here and we're privileged to have him on with us now but now he's up for a different reason finally telling the dan rooney story uh, it's called flying to the wind it's a motivational book but really just by reading the story of your life is motivational enough and today it launches so go out and grab it if you want a book that you can get through quickly uh that will really inspire you and help you in your own life uh, it is called Fly Into the Wind. Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney, welcome back to the show. Hey, Brian. Blessed to uh, be with you, brother. So I, I watched your promo clip, and I, I sent it on my social media, too, of you talking about why the name of the book is Fly Into the Wind. But you should say one thing up top that I don't think gets enough credit. You buried it in the book. You're the only person on the planet who's a PGA golfer, professional golfer, and a fighter pilot. 
Yeah, job description unique to one. Um, and it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing. So uh, to unpack that one, so when I was 12, and I meet this fighter pilot on the golf course, and he was my first man crush. His name's Steve Courtright, Reno. And uh, dude, like, walked right out of you know, the right stuff. And uh, it was the next day I'm playing golf with my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to create the ultimate job description and be a PGA golf professional and a fighter pilot. And uh, my dad is amazing. He's 80 years old. And he, he asked me a question after this profound statement from this 12-year-old kid. He said, son, can you tell me which way an airplane takes off? And I'm like, well, is it into the wind? He said, that's exactly right. And uh, obviously preparing me for those inevitable headwinds that would stand between this 12-year-old kid and this uh, job description of a very unlikely job description of being a fighter pilot and a golf pro. Uh, but, um, but it's, you know, been an incredible ride and, you know, really that's what the book is about, man. If, if you're going to go do great things in your life, um, there are going to be headwinds, but if you can harness that energy, you can ascend to, uh, to incredible places on this short journey. Right. So what was harder to do? Oh, I mean, statistically, definitely being a fighter pilot. So When you go through, and I talk a little about this in the book, but the fighter pilot training, I learned so much in. But when you start this program, um, they will spend, it's two and a half years long, they'll spend $8 million per pilot training you, um, but only 4.8% of the people who start it will successfully complete the training. So by far the most expensive, highest attrition rate of any military program out there, And I talked about in the book that over a 10-year period, there are more people that will play in the NFL than will be fighter pilots. So um, definitely that one is is more difficult statistically than than hitting a little white golf ball reasonably well. Yeah, I can do neither. So and I can barely hit that golf ball as you've seen me <laughs> I, in action. I've seen you in action. The the shot heard around the world with President Bush 43, which we'll uh, never forget. But man, what a good memory. Yeah, I actually had a good drive, is what you said, right? Yes, okay, yeah. Good. But his Secret Service had to stay very close to him all day long <laughs> for fear of one of your errant shots taking out the president. Because President Bush uh, does something that golfers don't usually do. He doesn't wait for you to play your ball. You just keep playing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, two, two balls in motion is success when you're playing with President Bush 43. It is a, uh, a fast-moving sport with him. So with your start into the wind, your life, like everybody else's life, hit turbulence. What turbulence did you hit that you feel like you came out a better person through it? Well, I, you know, and, I, and it, it's such a good point, Brian. Um, I've got this new show on Fox Nation that, that is out. We've got five episodes um, called Fly Into the Wind as well. And the, the linear equation that I've, I, I had known into my own life, but I figured out with people who have done great things, like yourself, I'm sure, but – you will have a polarizing, challenging experience in your life that has been equally as difficult. Um, These souls that kind of live out on the ragged edges of of life because they're pursuing true greatness, there will be great challenge there. And the details of of my struggles don't matter. I talk about it in the book and almost killed myself flying the F-16 and it kind of set this ominous course in my life that, you know, lasted about 10 years um, and, you know, dealt with, you know, building a golf course and going bankrupt and folds of honor, you know, failing and we weren't going to make it. And, you know, all the kind of emotional challenges that, that go with that, but it it's the humility 
and kind of my intentional mindset that this wasn't a problem I could solve tomorrow. So what can I control in my own life to find daily fulfillment, regardless of the chaos that was going on around me? And that's the inspiration of this code of living that I've outlined in the book that I call CAVU, which is a fighter pilot acronym that stands for Ceiling Invisibility Unlimited. But uh, I'm a big believer like those infinite blue skies. Our, our lives are unlimited. Uh, you are unlimited. When did you, where did you get that optimism from? Uh, I, and I think, you know, my, my parents and I, I'm, I'm just an optimistic guy um, in, in general. But I would say that optimism comes from execution, too. I mean, I wake up every day and I think the, the really cool part of this book is that um, and I talked about it on the show with you guys on Fox and Friends this morning is fighter pilots are uniquely gifted at like taking in copious amounts of information and prioritizing it at high speed. You do that really well. Right. And you're in your seat. And in modern life, everybody's drinking through this fire hose. There's never enough time in this busy day that we have. And the progression that I've outlined in this book kind of prioritizes this unconditional pursuit of what really matters. And so my optimism is kind of engineered because every day I wake up and I'm going to be disciplined to ensure that I incorporate the stuff that matters most in the day with all the other stuff you got to get done. And it's, it is highly possible um, to achieve, but people just, you know, let their lives run them as opposed to being intentional and, and running your life. You also point out something early in the book about the pandemic. You said everyone, it's bad and everyone's sacrificing, everyone's uh, some losing their lives and some their livelihoods. But there was something good about it. What did you find good about it? So here's the biblical, you know, the story of life. I don't care what your, where your faith is. It doesn't matter. The story of life is that whatever you look at, it, it's going to fall apart in order to come back together. And all the greatest accomplishments you've seen, you know, these people have done heroic things in the face of life not going their way. And it's how we react to those moments. And I talk about in this book, sometimes you got to get sick in order to get well. Um, and I think that, you know, COVID is one of those cases, not um, dismissing the horrible things that have happened to so many. But if you don't take time to pause evaluate your life in an intentional way, you're, you're missing this opportunity. And I think there have been so many positive things that have come out of this. And as a faith-based guy, I mean, I'm, I believe there's nothing by chance in life. This was meant to happen. And what do we take out of it um, to be better when we're going to come out in 2021, which I think is going to be the biggest party, regardless of who is elected as president, right? I don't care. Um, it is we're going to celebrate being alive and all the things that we've been, you know, deprived of in 2020. And I think 2021 is going to be one of the greatest years that mankind has ever lived. But you said you too, with, with your foundation, you're actually in the military, you're back as a fighter pilot with uh, the golf and with the events you got to plan. And you always have to be you, you have to be update, upbeat and you got to be soliciting donors to keep this military foundation, Folds of Honor, which is extraordinarily successful, one of the most successful in the country, you had to slow down because, like, all of a sudden the fundraisers shut off. There's only so much you could do in the military, and then your life shut down. You started spending more time at home, and you saw the benefit there. 
I did, and I'm, and I don't think I'm unique in in that. But I'm, you know, I'm married, and I got five kids, five and, girls, right? You no, know, yeah, five girls, and you know, pouring into them over this last year. That quite frankly, I, I haven't in the last ten years, um, and really caring and and you know, prioritizing the the stuff that's important. And I think that this was a, a reset. For all of us, and life's going to speed back up. I know it never slows down for you, Brian. Um, but uh, but there's oh, a lot of good down. stuff. That... You still there? You did slow down. Oh yeah, yeah there's no question. Um, but you felt the same thing, though, right? Oh yeah, I mean everyone's adjusted. We come into an empty building now. I I hop on a train at five o'clock at night. I'm there's no one there. I'm able to. There's not as many. You have a Fox Nation series. You have five pieces come out. I got probably two or three. Normally, I would have been had 15 out, which means 15 trips. And then, you know, who knows what other events where people want you to make speeches. There's no more speeches. So it shuts down that the extracurricular things that, you know, you're, you're building your, your future in many different ways. But now all that stuff's got to shut down. You can spend more time at home. And a lot of times, uh, I know you pointed out in your book, it really struck me that now you're pointing out with five girls that, okay, maybe it's not an absolute need for you to be home, but the things that you're able to do that you see them every day, you wouldn't have been able to do. No, yeah. And so here, one of the things I love about the book, too, right, is that I promise you, you and I and everybody listening to this is going to wake up in 10 years and be like, where did that time go? And the process that I live by, every day um, that I outline in the book is we'll give you the, the affirmative answer to that question because you'll know what you did every day to invest in being, you know, your best self. And family is a, is a huge part of uh, part of that. I hear you. Now in your series uh, that is now out, you talk to uh, David Ferry who wrote the forward to your book golfing legend, Olympic swimmer Dara Torres, who I know quite well, is so underappreciated and so accomplished. And Herschel Walker, we might be the best athlete in America. I mean, the UFC fighter, one of the finest uh, running backs ever, and still in incredible shape. What do we take away from your series? So the um, I hit on this a little bit when we were just talking. The, the people that will achieve the greatest things in life are – the most capable of handling life when it's not going their way. And I say this, I mean, I think our lives are defined, you know, every day by what we do and how we react when it doesn't go our way. But these people are extraordinary at, you know, running up against a challenge and using that resistance to ultimately ascend and harnessing that, in, that, that energy and uh, it sounds crazy, um, but it's not their achievements that, you know, that makes them so powerful. It's, it's what they do when it's not going their way that it allows them to achieve at the highest level. Um, because every one of these people in the series sit down and they don't talk about the national championships I've won as Urban Meyer or the major championships I've won as Greg Norman or the Olympic medals as Dara Torres. They talk about their fly into the win moment and how it changed them forever, how their faith played a role, and ultimately how they came out the other side of the storm a, a better person. And I think when we look at this country we're in that's so divided, the common ground of humanity is, man, we are all struggling. And uh, unfortunately, when you turn into, tune into Instagram, it's like everybody's having a great day except me. 
<laughs> right? Um, yeah. and, and I was fighting to get my kids out the door and doing Fox and Friends this morning. I'm like, dude, am I all alone in this struggle? And the beauty of the show is it's like, man, you're not alone, right? The, the, the people you admire are struggling just like you because we are human beings, and that, that unity and that hope and the healing, when we realize that, you know, we're connected by God in way more ways than we realize and that the path to fulfillment is about changing yourself in order to better everybody right. else. And by the way, Dan, that, yeah, I also know that you've seen a lot of death and destruction. You've been at war. And oh, you, yeah. you, you know what it's, you said you know what it smells like. And you know what it's like to, to have you and your wife drive in silence as she goes to drop you off hoping that you'll come home, thinking you'll come home, but not guarantee you will come home. That gives you a sense of balance and purpose and clarity that I imagine you don't know what it's like not to have that, but a lot of people listening don't. But that's why you you seem to be somebody who appreciates every day. And then when you find folds of honor uh, and then you have this book that tells a story and you write it to inspire others, it seems like, I hate to say it, but you seems like you're in the perfect place right now. Mm. That's that's humbling, and, and I, it sounds crazy, but I I think I am. I, mean, I think I'm right where um, I'm supposed to be. Um, and you know, I wake up every day, and my and I get up very early, right? But it's like, hey, I, I have a mission today, and that's to be a vessel of impact. And I think that's why why we were all made, right? Is to that's use it. our talents to make things better. And I talk about in this book, the more time you focus on yourself, the less happy you will be. Guarantee it. Right. Um, Unless in my case, I love focusing on myself, Dan. I just, just, if you don't mind, I do. Listen, this series is great. It's called Fly Into the Wind. If you want to feel better today, start reading this book. You're not going to be able to put it down. It is now out. It's called Fly Into the Wind. The series on Fox Nation is so worth your time. And he's the founder of Folds of Honor. If you want to do something good with your money that's going to make an impact to the surviving uh, children, try to get them to college of those who lost their lives fighting for our country, that's why you'd go and give to Folds of Honor. And just know the money's going to the right place because Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney put his name on this. Colonel, thanks so much, Dan. Always great to hear from you. Hey, Brian, I'll leave you with this. Thanks for donating to Folds of Honor personally. I want everybody to know that, that you send frequent checks to change lives of our military families. And I am uh, truly blessed to be on this walk of life with you. And uh, we'll keep fighting to uh, to make this country better together. You got it. And uh, it's definitely worth it. I just promise to never golf again and never to fly. Because you do both better than me. <laughs> I, I don't want to do either, and you do both great. Uh, Colonel, thanks so I love much. love you, brother. Go get I him, Dan. Back at you. Uh, back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, let's... Uh, it was so great to talk to uh, Dan Rooney, and I hope everyone goes and picks up uh, Fly Into the Wind. I have a virtual signing tomorrow. I'll have information. I'll put it up on social meeting, uh, media. I'll be able to interview him and let everyone have a chance to uh, ask him questions and kind of moderate there. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Wow. George Cooney is gifting his 14 best friends $1 million. I wonder if Chris Wallace is going to get this. I just thought basically if I can get hit by a bus, they're in the will. So why the F am I going to be waiting to get hit by a bus? A few years ago, Cooney, uh, bestie Randy Gerber, shock fans when he told MSNBC that Cooney had 
uh, invited their group of friends over for dinner and surprised them each with that million dollars. Isn't that great? He said this in a GQ magazine. Yeah, well, he yeah, he confirmed that he did this back in 2013. So we can ask Chris if he got it yet or not. I think he did. He, but imagine, hey, come over for dinner. And they opened up a Tumi suitcase with $1 million of cash. Next. How, wait, one quick thing, though. He did this. Bef- Sorry, I know. I'm screwing it up. He did this before he had his twins. He thought, I'm single. Why not let them have it now? And then maybe he got- he'll ask for it back. That would be pretty bad, no? Yeah, I think so. Next, Georgina Bloomberg is recruiting her dad, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, uh, because tuning her the, uh, so basically, uh, to a virtual she- event took place in the event. Tell me what this is about. Got a problem. She did a um, for the Humane Society gala. Basically, they auctioned off. Um, uh, you could do a Zoom pitch to Michael Bloomberg to raise oh, money. It's because he has money and can make you rich. Again, they raised $2 million. He's on a losing streak, though. Look how bad he did in Florida. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.